Hello and welcome to Meet Our Makers, an artist interview podcast produced in association with Beats Per Minute. I'm your host, Jeremy J. Fissette. On this episode, we get to meet Dan Behar of Destroyer. And though we talk a bit about these solo roots from back in the 90s, Destroyer has really become one of indie's stalwart bands, especially since 2011's Kaput, which we talk quite a bit about here as well. In this chat, we talk about his newest record, Labyrinthitis, his musical process, his ideas, what inspires him, what moves him, stream of consciousness lyricism, and more. We talk about how Destroyer's past informs, or doesn't, Destroyer's present. We talk about memory, living in a song, living through a song, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy the chat. Dan was just as nonchalant, cool and collected, dryly funny as you'd probably imagine if you've been a fan of any of his records along the way. I know I had a good time talking to him. So thank you for listening. Please enjoy. This is me meeting Dan Behar. feel to have the record about to come out i mean you you did put a new record out uh not too long ago at the cusp of the pandemic uh have we met in 2020 um kind of right before everything shut down and now you have this new one coming out when a lot of people are trying to act like things are kind of over so how does it feel to kind of have that quick turnaround especially now to have this record coming out now um well, I mean, I think the the gap's pretty standard. Um, I think it's, you know, two years and two months or something, which is not too strange in Destroyer World. Mm-hmm. Maybe the gap between Ken and Have We Met was two years and, you know, three months. <laughs> <laughs> More or less the same, but for some reason, the last two years make it seem kind of a special version of two years you know yeah maybe that's all it is this like okay, weird have, warped yeah could have something to do with it um so in fact have we met feels like it happened in a completely different decade like yeah. maybe in the early 2000s as far as i'm <laughs> concerned um i yeah and as far as entering the world you know i'm kind of with everyone else i don't really know you know we're going to go on tour and live on a bus for a month and travel around north america Mm. uh in six or seven weeks and that's pretty strange to say just to say words let alone trying to picture what it's going to be like Um, when's the when's the last time you toured i played a few shows with the new pornographers who i don't normally make music with but it was Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of a <clears throat> anniversary tour of our first album. Oh yeah. So um, I did that in the fall, uh, and that was really strange. Um, mm. Strange to be in front of people. Uh, and you guys, that's a big group. So there's a lot of people even on stage. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of people on stage. Um, you know, quite strict COVID protocols which is probably the only reason why we all um, got home without getting sick. Because I think if that tour had happened like a week later, the whole thing would have been canceled because Omicron. Oh yeah. Um, But you know, so like a lot of just living in green rooms and hotel rooms and not Mm -hmm. engaging with society whatsoever. So um, completely unlike any version of touring that I know. Yeah. Um. I don't know if the upcoming tour will be um, quite as futuristic as that, (laughs) but we'll see, you know, I mean, but the record wasn't made thinking about any of these things. It was made, um, you know, in the same way that all the other ones are made, just uh, in the bubble of your mind, you know, I'm sure like the outside world affects what you make, but um i have a hard time projecting past the record itself 
yeah so i mean it's not like you wrote like a covid album um i don't think so i mean <laughs> in a lot of ways have we met scans to me is a lot more like a covid record mm. than this new one excepting i didn't know what covid was then because i it uh it didn't really exist when i was making it but yeah um i mean labyrinthitis to me seems kind of terminally upbeat tempo wise uh in a really strange way for a destroyer which might indicate some kind of like psychic breakdown <laughs> due to judah whatever the last two years it seems really agitated uh a, a really agitated record it seems mm -hmm. like um kind of cartoonish um and you know so it, in comparison, the record that came before it, even though it was, it was kind of dark in its own way, seems quite comforting, actually. Hmm. Yeah, I've I've listened to Labyrinthitis a couple times today um, to prep for for speaking with you. Um, I don't know if I would have called it agitated, but I I do see what you mean. I mean, there is kind of like a tick 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 kind of attitude to it for most of it. It does open quite dreamily, I would say. Um, yeah. The first track is kind of this long, dreamy, almost like ambient rock kind of song. Yes, I feel like um, the first song, the first song and the last song are kind of um, are kind of these strange sleights of hand, mm. or one is you know, as far as like entryways into the record, and then the last song is kind of just like me desperately needing an antidote to the record yeah because the last song we should we should probably point out I, I believe it's the only one with pretty much just you and guitar yeah i just recorded that one by myself really right. fast yeah so the rest of the record um for those who haven't heard it yet um you know it is a pretty dense record there's a lot of sound a lot of rhythm um tons of different textures even on that first track there's a lot of textural elements to it and then you leave us on this very very solemn no almost yeah i mean it's a solemn song though it kind of turns into a sing-along mm -hmm. i guess you can, you can you can sing along to a solemn song i guess is the moral of the story mm -hmm. um it's a i guess it's a sad song but uh it feels like it comes from some kind of um pure or like a clear place as opposed to um as opposed to the the songs that came before which seemed to me um desperately confused would you describe it as a sad record i don't think so i don't think anyone could listen to it and think of it as a, i mean all of this has to be thought you know mm -hmm. in the context of destroyer albums what is a sad record and what is a happy record you know i don't know what the ceilings are mm -hmm. on that um i i think it's a, i think of it as a dark record so i don't know if people would listen to it and think it was a dark record um but um yeah i mean the singer seems lost in a fog more than usual i don't know if that equates to darkness oh for you it could i mean you you're the one in the center of the storm there maybe yeah so I want to talk quickly about the the title of it, Labyrinthitis, which I love. Um, <laughs> uh, it is there is a title track. It's an instrumental title track. Um, by the which I noticed after the fact is actually your second instrumental title track in a row. Um, I don't know if that's just an accident. No, I thought I'd start. I was I was thinking of trying to start a tradition. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I dig it. <laughs> yeah, I'm into it too. It kind of takes the pressure track. off the weight of having a title track, I think, because I feel like a lot of times people look to the title track of an album and think, okay, well, how is this topically, you know, like a beacon for the rest of the record? But maybe it doesn't really have to do mm. with that. I know? definitely didn't want anything that I said to sully the idea of what the title might be on Have We Met or on Labyrinthitis. Right. So what does that title mean to you? And, and how do you think it's a fitting one for these songs? I mean, usually, usually when I pick a title, it's almost just like, I almost pick it visually. I don't know if other people have that. 
relationship to letters and words, but um, I don't, it's almost always just how it strikes me looking on a page. Mm. Uh, labyrinthitis was kind of a weird word. I came across it in a strange way. It seemed made up, you know, it seems like a fake word. Yeah, it does. Like it seems like a word that like Italo Calvino or someone like that would come up with, like a a fake, a fake affliction or a fake disease, <laughs> you know, to be um to be addicted to mazes, you know, or yeah. to be um to chronically take to chronically turn left when you should turn right or something. <laughs> uh but I don't know, it also just like um implies disorientation and i guess in real life also it implies um you know vertigo and dizziness and and being hurt by sound mm. if you look up the actual clinical definition i guess yeah and and so you you felt like that was just sort of the fitting word the fitting label for for these 10 songs i kind of liked it yeah mm. i kind of It's hard, it's, it's hard to talk about when you make something to talk about it being like um, really confused sounding or lost sounding because it, it makes people, people can think that you are expressing weakness in it. And I don't, I don't think that's the case. Mm -hmm. um, I especially like a group of songs that is battling an affliction. Mm. Um, and also, I just kind of like the the sound of it, and the the sound of it kind of remind reminded me also of like, um, maybe like a tool or a system of the down B side, <laughs> a kind of a prog metal, which I thought maybe a couple of songs might have that feeling, it or just maybe um, uh, like some some bad nineties electronica, or just like um jazz a jazz fusion group might make an it's album three very disparate it. things <laughs> yeah and those are all things that are kind of um um interest me for different reasons mm -hmm. so with this record or maybe just in general uh one thing i've always been curious uh with your work with destroyer and kind of elsewhere too um is is based in the lyrical front because I'm a very sort of lyrics centered listener. And so I was listening to this new record um, today and it is, it is very, and, and it is a, it is a destroyer record. It is a Dan Behar record in that. I feel like a lot of the lyrics seem pretty stream of consciousness or very imagistic. Um, it's it's kind of hard to pin any of them down. Um how do you generally come up with your lyrics? Are they in fact stream of consciousness or do you actually kind of really deliberately consider them? I mean, I deliberately consider them in the moment that I write them down. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll deliberately consider not writing them down if they seem lame. <laughs> <laughs> And then again, when I'm stringing them together, there's certain words or lines that talk to other lines in ways that other ones don't. Yeah. And then there's also a third thing, which is um, how singable the line seems, like how lyrical in the kind of traditional sense of lyric is the line, mm -hmm. um, how melodic is the language, you know? Which Do you is come like up with lyrics later? I'm sorry? Do you come up with lyrics later after the music is all done? No, of course not. I mean, that's what 99% of people do, but I can't I can't work on a song until I can sing it from yeah. the very beginning to the very end. I need the lyric and the vocal melody. Mm. And then I'll start thinking about very basic things like chords. Oh, so you would like come up with a vocal melody first? Yeah, that's kind of new. That's how that's me in the last 12 years. Okay. Generally, if I can't, if my, if my work can't be done a cappella, then it's not something I'm going to work on. Mm. Um, like I have to be able to sing it from beginning to end. And then the toil begins after that, the toil meaning music. 
So do you think of your lyrics narratively? Do you think your lyrics are a narrative or do you kind of just piece together images that you think feel kind of of a piece? I mean, there's always more, I don't, I don't know if there's stories running through my mind, but there's always situations. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I repeat myself lots. I hope I do because <laughs> I know my hangups and there's not that many of them. There's probably four or five. Um, so I don't know my version of narrative and other people's narr- version of narrative probably differs. It probably depends what country you went to school in. Um, I know, and I'm, I'm an English teacher, so I probably have a very specific definition of narrative. Uh, you know, I find that if you put four images together, that's a narrative. Sure. Um, especially, uh, I guess my approach to narrative is also more like filmic, more movie-based, mm-hmm. um, which is closer to like collage work, um, and then sticking lines in people's mouths, which I also like to do in Destroyer songs. Yeah, I was going to ask how often different characters because there's only one singer, but I think there's different characters. Yeah, I was actually going to ask how often you'd say the speaker in your songs is even you, specifically Dan Behar. Oh man, like (laughs) on Labyrinthitis, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I don't know if I'm there. Yeah, it's just like like a conduit. Half half of the songs are kind of like the singer. Not that I'm super likable, but the singer is like kind of a villain or like a (laughs) a a petty like a kind of like a petty villain. It's funny you say that because I, I I quoted, I wrote down two lines that I think stood out to me and really fit what you just said. Um, one is, I forget which song this is from already, but uh, I piss on the floorboards, the whole world's a stage. Um, yeah, from eat, from eat the wine, drink the bread. Right, okay. And then this one I think is from uh, the third track, June, a snow angel is just a fucking idiot someone made in the snow. Yeah, lots of mean lines in that one. Right. Just, yeah, just like petty. Just, just, That's a good word. Punching, punching way below my weight. Yeah, like he, this guy's insulting snow angels. Yeah, I want to make I want to make children cry. You know, I want to make babies <laughs> cry. Hope they hope some babies come to your your concerts on this tour. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, there's lots of examples of that in these songs, and I don't think that's that's like something that pops up in some destroyer songs, but I think the ratio is high on labyrinthitis. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the other thing on here is that there's like a song like June, which is a good example. You know, there's like words that I sing and then there's like words that I'll write that just get tossed into the abyss. Mm-hmm. And the second half of June is just filled with the abyss words, you know, it's like, that's the kind of writing I normally I, I normally do that doesn't end up in songs. It just ends up, it just ends up like uh, cast out. So it's kind of fun to do kind of, of a more rap and spoken word section. Yeah, I felt, I felt like there were a few, a few moments on this record that kind of hewed closer to that than, yeah, than maybe yeah, usual. Maybe it seems to be something that's starting to rear its ugly head more and more. <laughs> um, like how I just, I'm starting to just not care about melodic language as much. I mean, your your lyrics, at least as long as I've been a, a listener of Destroyer's music, which probably goes back to, um, I don't know, Trouble and Dreams era time, Destroyer. You know, your your lyrics are very wordy. You're a very sort of literary, I think, lyricist. So it seems like maybe you've gotten to the point where you can you can figure out how to fit your specific vernacular, your kind of language into a line within a meter, within a melody and maybe now you're like fuck it i'm gonna throw that away maybe yeah i mean i th- i think af like if you compare what i've done in the 2010s compared to the 2000s the big shift was the word count you know probably mm-hmm. like i think i'd be surprised if if kaput had even half the amount of words that trouble and dreams had Mm-hmm. You know, despite aside, aside having some ba- really long songs, I'm sorry. So despite having some really long songs too, has a lot of really long songs and a lot of ambient instrumental passages. And mm-hmm. really, aside from the song "Bay of Pigs" and the song "Suicide Demo" for Kara Walker, which I co-wrote with someone, um, you know, most of the songs are just like two or three couplets. You know, just like little sayings. There's nothing that compares to. Um, you know, some of the longer songs on Rubies or Trouble and Dreams. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's kind of a path I've been going down for, I don't know, a decade. And it feels like um, maybe I need to like forsake that path a little bit. And you mentioned a big shift from your from your 2000s to 2010s output uh, being word count, but another to, to, on the outside anyway, another shift was was sonically um, a lot seemed to have shifted. Like Trouble in Dreams was there's a lot of acoustic instrumentation, and then Kaput, which was sort of a oddly kind of a, a turning point for Destroyer in terms of like visibility or reception. It felt like that Kaput yeah, came true. out, yeah, and there was like you had been around already for 15, 16 years, probably by that point. And of course you had gained a following. Absolutely. But for some reason, Kaput shifted the narrative a little bit and Kaput was full of synths and horns and sort of dreamy atmospheric stuff that did kind of, you know, it came up a little bit on past Australia records, but it does seem like since Kaput, you've been really exploring with electronic textures and synths and beats. So, yeah. I mean, I know you did famously use, I say famously, use uh, fake instrumentation for your blues. But um, what is it about these, like these toys and these electronics and this technology that that kind of keeps you interested? Uh, I mean, and Kaput was done with, was a very specific project. And there was like, there was a sound in mind and it was those instruments. Um. There was an end goal, you know, more than is the case usually with Destroyer. Uh, I guess I was becoming like less scared to you to make music that sounded like some of the stuff I was into when I first really became a music, a super music fan as a teen in the 80s, Mm. um, which did involve music that used a lot of synthesizers and drum machines. you know, that being said, uh, the, you know, the band is probably more present on Labyrinthitis than it has been on the last couple albums. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all over the place. I mean, the drums are, uh, like Josh's drumming is really incredible in spots. There's lots of guitar. Um, but I guess I became... Uh, in the late 2000s, I started really getting into just, I don't know, soundtrack music, ambient music, music that didn't have anyone singing in it. I started listening to a lot more jazz music. Um, and, you know, I'm just like a viper. I'm just like, I I, I want in. When I hear something I like, <laughs> I, want, I want it. <laughs> You're like, how can I do that? How can I do that? Yeah. And then a lot of it has to do with the people I collaborate with, you know, like John Collins who's um, worked as like producer and bass player and synthesizer player for a bunch of these recent albums, you know, like he just, that's all step music's very foundational for him, you know, like Mm -hmm. he went to the record store as a 12 year old and, you know, bought Kraftwerk records back in 1980 or whenever that was. So, um, you know, you're just kind of in that, in that way, it's kind of a sum, a, you're a sum of your parts. Uh, also, Destroyer, when it first started, really like started as a band that wanted to sound like a classic rock band. Mm. Um, when I first started doing rock music in the late 90s, that was the goal. And it, it took a little while for that to wear off. Um, but, you know, you still see those roots on a record like Poison Season, which is from not that long ago, like 2015 or something like that. Yeah. That's just like 70s rock. That's just still like where we kind of, where the band truly lives and where we come alive. Yeah. You can kind of see if you ever, if someone comes out and sees us play. Yeah. I was, I was wondering how, like, how would you in a, in a tour, I know you you're touring in a few weeks, um, sort of marry the more recent output, including labyrinthitis with your older stuff, or would you, or do you not worry about it? I don't really worry about it, but the band is amazing and Mm -hmm. they, they don't need me. uh, They don't really need my guidance. They just need me to show up and sing. Right. Um, And they're like a great, they're an amazing meat grinder. I find 
um, where we kind of just churn songs through the bands and they kind of end up sounding, they have the sound, you know, and it's not, um, sometimes it involves really abandoning the sound, the sound that the recorded song has. And other times we just pick the songs that lend themselves to the band more than others, you know? Yeah. Um, the band plays really loud, you know, it's it, the band, um, you know, rocks, rocks hard. As my students, as, as my students would say it rips. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's everyone, you know, um, really lays into it. Mm. It's not a soft rock band on stage and it's, um, you know, the textures are, if they're there, they're in your face. Um, so, you know, we abandon lots of things from the record with relish. I like, I have no interest in having a studio album and what we do on stage. Like the idea that those two things have to talk to each other is, you know, dead to me. Yeah. Is that a, a sort of a somewhat recent realization of yours or has it always kind of been that way? Um, I think it probably first started when I did your blues and I toured with a band called frog eyes playing those songs. And we just mm -hmm. did them as like kind of thrashy punk rock songs. That makes sense. Given instead of me going do. on, instead of me going on tour and pressing play on a CDR. Yeah. I mean, you want to perform and when the songs are performed, they often become, you know, their own organism. You're not, you're not yeah. trying to, you're not trying to do karaoke. Honestly, and it makes, <laughs> it makes it more, it makes it more fun. The songs have more life. I think also, I mean, I used to have a lot more anxiety around performing live. I still do. But I think playing music on stage or just playing music in a room with people in real time has become more valuable to me. Um, and like just as important as making records and in some ways more important. Yeah, and I mean, from a music fan perspective, there are few things that I enjoy more from a concert than when you leave going like, wow, they sounded like better than they do on record because yeah. things are different and they change things and they try things. And yeah, if you wanted to go see karaoke, you could just go to a nice, go to your friend's house who has an expensive, you know, speaker and press play. Yeah, sure. So there is something definitely to be said about letting them be their own beings, these songs. I just, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think there's a lot of Destroyer songs where the best versions of them are, have been left on a stage somewhere. Yeah. So you mentioned your band a few times. Um, who is playing with you on Labyrinthitis? The lineup's been pretty consistent for um, about 10 years now. Okay. It's uh, Josh Wells playing drums and... Nick Bragg playing guitar. He's been playing guitar since for the last 20 years. Oh, wow. I think on all the albums, excepting maybe your blues. Um, Dave Carswell also playing guitar. He's um, also done a lot of production work with Destroyer in the past, but he's been touring with us for the uh, last 11 years. Um, he's all over the record, plays a lot of really good guitar. John plays a a hell of a lot of bass as well as his production and synth duties mm -hmm. um if you hear a piano it's probably ted Bois playing and then there's some um trumpet here and there trumpet with effects usually mm -hmm. provided by jp carter who's been playing since kaput with destroyer yeah and the horns on kaput were part of, i think part of the major appeal that people found in that record yeah, I guess uh, I guess back then there wasn't um, a lot of trumpet and saxophone on albums. Hard now it's play. everywhere. Yeah, feels like it's everywhere anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's good. No, yeah, I'm not fighting it. Um, so I mean, when Kaput did come out and it was received so well, I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting that's something that people necessarily pay attention to when 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 they're in it, but did you feel a shift happening from then on? Like do you notice a difference in Destroyer's existence after Kaput as opposed to before Kaput? I mean, we sold more records. 
which mm. is a crazy thing to say in this age because yeah. no one talks about selling records, but we did. And um, we kind of, we, I guess we got an audience in Europe for the first time ever. So we started spending more time going over there. Hmm. Uh, really, that was for the first time ever. Um, you know, some stuff where you're doing things that strike you as strange or just like, wow, this is, I really don't belong here. Um, but let's just do it. So you end up playing on television or you end up playing like some massive festival. And we did that for a little while, but you know, it's pretty hard to be sideswiped by stuff mm-hmm. on album nine when you're pushing 40, you know, <laughs> I'll say it probably would have been a lot different if, if it had happened, uh, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 years earlier. Yeah. But I was pr- pretty, pretty set, pretty stuck in my ways by then. So I had it in me to, um, you know, to mismanage our way out of any kind of momentum that that (laughs) built as far as like mainstream stuff goes. I mean, Destroyer, I think you guys got, yeah, you got more fans, you sold more records around the kaput, maybe into the poison season era. Uh, But I mean, you're not, you're not, yeah, you're never going to be the mainstream pop band. Yeah, no, I mean, which is fine. (laughs) Aside from being on the radio, it's just like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to even talk that way, but just, not even that, but just doing them. Um, I don't know. There's just, there's just basic like popular college rock shit that we just didn't really do or didn't really appeal as. Um, yeah. uh, so, you know, that stuff is really just a distraction. You really only notice it when you're on tour. Yeah. When it comes to making records, the process is still really, you know, hermetic. Um, for me, anyway. Yeah. Uh, just kind of the world. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's not really something that it doesn't really, f- it doesn't really f- fuel you to do anything. Right. Um. Maybe it does for some people, but for me, it just didn't, I wasn't really jacked on it. So we're going to go back even further in time for a moment. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, sort of early Destroyer era, because even though, as I said, I, I've I've been a fan of, of Destroyer stuff for a while, um, at, again, at least dating back to... Um, sort of your blues or, or trouble in dreams time destroyer has been around for like 26 years at this point um Man, really yeah i was oh, like yeah, that's true yes that's yeah. kind of what i was like i had not that had not computed <laughs> wow. for me yeah um you know your your debut record came out of just a just over 25 years ago uh we'll build them a golden bridge which was if i'm not mistaken just you at that point that was just me with a four track and yeah that came out spring of 96 i guess so coming on 26 years ago so i guess my 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 question then my curiosity is then when did that become what we know as destroyer like when did you say okay this is like truly this is gonna be what i keep doing and let's bring more people into it oh i mean i don't i don't remember any decisions really at all it's just kind of living you know yeah Um, the fact that someone actually wanted to pay money to manufacture um, a few hundred CDs of that record was already mind-blowing to me. Um, and then they paid a few hundred bucks for me to go into a basement studio and like to go into an action to like quote unquote properly record the follow-up which is city of daughters which even though there's songs on the first destroyer album which i think have their merit and there's like a couple that the new pornographers covered on their album on mass romantic and twin cinema um i see city of daughters the second album is like the kind of first one from which i can like draw a through line from that to what i'm doing now it's also when I first met John 
John oh, Collins. Okay. It was his studio. He recorded it. He played bass. Uh, and I, Scott Morgan, um, played drums on that record. He would go on to play drums on a, you know, Thief and Street Hawk and um, also Destroyers Rubies. So I don't know. I, I listen to the second Destroyer album and I can hear. I can hear the template for things that came later, um, but it wasn't some conscious move. Yeah. Uh, now is my time to take over the world because that sure didn't happen. <laughs> you know, uh, was that what was that even your was that ever even your goal? No, of course not. <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't know anyone who lived off music. It was that's that was some other that was like something you'd see on television. Mm. You know, it seems. Um, just not an option in the nineties. Uh, you know, you could go on tour maybe and scrape some money together, but all I did notice about myself at the time was that all I did all day long was strum the guitar and write songs and write in my notebook. It's just like the amount that I was writing when I think about it. Um, and there's lots of songs from that era that no one's heard. Um, it's just so it's it's so different from my process now and what I put what I kind of churn out now and the rate um, you know it almost seems like a different human being yeah um, so I must have been like discovering a muscle in myself and just and it's all I it's all I thought about all day long it's all I did um, just reams and reams of songs I mean, in, in, the, in the press release for Labyrinthitis, I, I think you're quoted as saying that you've probably written up to 400 songs in your life. So I guess that's not surprising. Did I really say that? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Wow. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's possible. I probably yeah. was just grabbing that figure out of the air, but... It's, it's, but I mean, know, it sounds right. <laughs> it, it, could, it could be close or it could be more. I don't know. I mean, yeah, because, you, you know, we haven't really said, but but Labyrinthitis is, is your 13th Destroyer record, um, has 10 songs on it, but some Destroyer records have up to 14, 18 songs, plus you have yeah. other side projects and you've written a few with new pornographers. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's possible. <laughs> um, yeah, so, that, I mean, that's how I, that's how I remember en engaging with music was just manically and also um kind of feeling part of a community you know mm -hmm. in vancouver like the vancouver underground uh that's probably the first time i really felt that um uh so yeah music just took up my life is it strange for you if you go back and listen to really old destroyer stuff is that is that something you ever do or try to avoid doing I don't really do it. Um, sometimes I'll listen to an old record or an older record because I think it would be cool for the band to learn some old song, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, it's not, it's not stuff I revisit at all. Yeah, generally once a record comes out, um, it's... It's just, uh, it goes on the shelf. <laughs> it goes on the shelf of the world. Yep. It, it's just moving on to whatever is in front of it, I suppose. Yeah. Or I guess also, I think I've done a, not a fair amount, but between albums, it became a pattern for me to, to do solo shows uh, over the last 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. And those would generally be when I tried to play songs that the band doesn't do. So they'd be more, maybe more obscure songs, songs written on a, an acoustic guitar. So, which almost always means songs from the nineties or, <laughs> um, you know, two thousands. Uh, so in that sense, maybe I'll revisit an old album that way, but purely yeah. just to, to see like basically to listen to chords really. Yeah, I, I was going to, I like, so I'm always curious and, and I like asking people who've had as many albums and songs as you have, if there are any songs that you just, for the life of you, can't remember how to play. 
Oh yeah. That you wish you could, like songs <clears throat> you wish you could remember how to play. I mean, I I I stopped playing guitar um in 2008 hmm. and my only regret is that I didn't stop earlier. <laughs> um there have been songs that I've written on guitar since then, but not too many. Um as opposed to like the first uh the first like 12 years of destroyer where they were all written on guitar mm -hmm. um mostly though it's a lyric a lot of it is a lyric thing where i just can't relate to that kind of writing or a certain emphatic quality or strident quality which my younger self maybe had yeah um i just can't picture singing it so there's not in a lot of ways there's not too many of the oldies that just feel comfortable in my mouth you know yeah do you have any sort of like favorites of your destroyer catalog yeah i mean there's old ones that i like to sing um there's a song called foam hands that i always sing is that that's from trouble in dreams that's off of trouble in dreams yeah uh you know I would always end solo shows with a song called Don't Become the Thing You Hated off your blues. Mm -hmm. There's a song off your blues called Certain Things You Ought to Know. I think it's the last, yeah. the last track. That's and, uh, one of my favorite songs of yours. I think that's one of my favorite songs. Yeah. I've like I'm basically always just always trying to get back to that song. Mm. Um it's not like a style of song that I think people associate with me, or it's not really like if I have a name, it's not through songs like that. Yeah. But um, it's kind of like the, the germ of a lot of the kind of more recent music I've made in some ways. Did you ever expect Destroyer to still be going this strong and still receiving solid continued praise 25 plus years on? Well, I mean, in my defense, it took a few years to receive any praise whatsoever. So that sure. helps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a late start, you know, a lot of it, it's been like a very, it's been a very like slow incline from, you know, a few people in Vancouver, literally like a handful of people in Vancouver um, being into it to then maybe like, a few people in Canada and then some college radio in the States uh, getting into it. And then, you know, like a couple of people at other music here in New York. And then one of them works there and wants to put out the record. This is stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And uh, it took a while before I was just not, not just the weirdo and the new pornographers. <laughs> um, oh, here comes another Dan song. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, and then like there'd be records that, you know, there, there was a lot of like, um, you know, someone would really like Street Hawk and then someone would really like This Night and then someone would really like Your Blues and none of them would agree. Mm -hmm. um, they'd all like hate the one that came before it or the one that came after it. And then finally with like Rubies, we, we kind of found an audience through just everyone being able to agree that that record didn't suck. <laughs> um, you know, and it kind of created a bit of momentum for us. And it was, wasn't really till then, it wasn't till 2006 in that album that I thought, oh, this is maybe sustainable, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty late. You know, that's like, that's album six. Uh, of or 13. Seven, or maybe that's album seven. <laughs> I can't even remember. But, uh, you know, the idea, you know, I'm turning 50 in a few months and the idea of still like, going out and having people showing up to shows um, or people like, you know, bothering to write about the records seems like, a, yeah, it seems like I won the lottery or, you know, it's, it's insane. Um, yeah. And it's the same, it's essentially the same project that you've had for half your life at this point. So yeah, I would imagine that's kind of a, it's pretty strange. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's the thing that basically I've done for almost the entirety of my adult life. Yeah. Um, and uh it's still going and morphing in these, in these ways. I mean, I do think about doing something else. Um, 
I think it's actually important that I do. I'm just not sure what that <laughs> else will be, you know? Yeah. Um, it's also funny. You've, I, I interviewed uh, Spencer Krug last year and we were talking about names because, you know, he's had like 17,000 band names. Yes, he has. And he brought you, and he brought you up because he was like, you know, my friend Dan from Destroyer, like he picked Destroyer and then that's all he's ever been. He's just, he's like, I just stuck with Destroyer. So, yeah. you know, that's, there is something to that, that you kind of, you, you made something when you were young and you stuck to it, even though, you know, in, 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 in Destroyer's defense, most of your records don't really sound like the one that came before it. Right. I mean, I, I think they do and they don't, you know, they all have like, an, there's a kind of a, an idea for each mm-hmm. one, but um, if you look at who I've collaborated with over the last 20 years, it's actually like pretty small group of people and they all have their own distinct sound, I say, mm-hmm. and I definitely have like, um, I definitely have like melodies and chord progressions that I favor and certain kind of words that I favor. Um, you know, if anything, I, I assume that Destroyer songs are, uh, you know, tedious and how consistent they are, <laughs> but, um, you know, I guess there's like kind of a production concept that, that jumps around. I don't really know if it's that different from other bands. It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, but that's something that gets talked about, I guess, is that each destroyer record sounds different from the one before it. I don't know. I see, I, I always see the consistencies, you know? Yeah. I mean, that might be something that's, that comes quicker to your realizations than it would to people who weren't involved. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Is it easier or how, like, I guess how different is it for you then when you do write with a group? Like if you do write a new pornographer song or back when you were in Swan Lake with Spencer and, and Carrie Mercer, like how, how is well, that so different? I It's hard to say like with Swan Lake, that was just like, I mean, those guys really took the reins. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be like, here's my song. And then they get <laughs> me to sing it. And then I would kind of hear what they did to it and I'd like it. Yeah. Um, the new pornographers was kind of a similar scenario. It was an extreme version of that aside from the first album, Mass Romantic, where I was m- <clears throat> more hands-on and an actual member of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess with the pornographers, uh, if I came up with something that seemed upbeat, um, that had more chord changes than usual and that had usually anything that was like really lyrically potent that I wanted to like get across um, something specific. I'd probably say that for Destroyer, you know? Yeah. While, um, you know, aside, and then eventually, towards the tail end of the pornographers actually just started writing with the new pornographers in mind specifically like the song myriad harbor is a good example and that i discuss the new pornographers and i uh, members of the band and i talk about like you know going to new york and um killing time while working on a record you know Mm -hmm. um which it's all a fiction but it's all specific to that group um but I would say, you know, um, and a lot of the pornographer songs that I wrote were all written in the 90s. Um, okay. So it's kind of like they're older, not all of them, but some, you know, a good chunk of them, uh, which was just like that decade. It was just, just, you know, the late 90s was just a giant jumble of songs for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we've mentioned a few times how, how much music you've made, how many songs you've made. You've had like four different bands that you've been part of, at least momentarily. Um, so what's something that you actually like haven't tried yet that you hope you can someday with Destroyer or without Destroyer? Oh, that I haven't tried. Um, Even a style. Yeah. I mean, the whole Labyrinthitis was supposed to be a house record. 
or like yeah i was actually yeah i was gonna ask is this like your version of like a dance record it's not i don't find it dancing the least it's not my version (laughs) of a dance record um i'd still i think it would be fun to try my hand at that but uh you know john collins's fingerprints are all over this album and the last one this one especially though this one i think is like in a lot of ways a very um pure expression of his id mm-hmm. and what happens when when people throw a bunch of music at him what he does to it um and you know uh, on the on the reverse side of that you know i think a, a record that is like a purely ambient record mm. um is something that i think about a lot well it's something you've certainly dabbled in here and there yeah yeah um You know, and just like maybe music that's has words in it and has something where like you know, just like I abandon the song form altogether. Mm. Um, that would be nice. Uh things are stuff like that I think about. Um, but you know, the music side of things is always very it's very collaborative and it's you know and whoever collaborates on the music and destroyer has a lot of freedom so things so it's wild you know it always ends up in places i never expect and one thing i don't try and do is control it yeah mostly because i don't know how (laughs) well the new record is labyrinthitis we've been talking quite a bit about it it is out march 25th on merge and belly union Thank you again very much, Dan, for taking this hour and chatting with me about about Destroyer. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day, Dan. Yeah, you too. We'll see you around. See you.